This is Mexico. What is actually a pretty spectacular nation that is blessed with natural resources and natural beauty. But of course, it is not without its issues, both real and perceived. Despite its many, many critics though, the nation has surprisingly strong economic characteristics. A great export market, a thriving manufacturing industry, natural resources, a young and productive workforce, and even things like geography are on their side. But the thing is, it still has critics, and some of that criticism isn't entirely unfair. Things like crime are an issue, and as strong as Mexico's legitimate economy and export market is, well, we still all know deep down the other export market that Mexico is home to. Now a huge disclaimer with this is that we will today only be looking at Mexico's legitimate industries, and I know I know there is a lot to be said about that other domestic industry, but that is not a topic entirely taking place within Mexico and probably deserves a video all of its own. But this perception alone has had huge economic ramifications on the nation as it is often overlooked by international investors as the next major developing economy because of this bad press. Weirdly enough, a lot of these issues can actually be explained not by headline news articles, but rather the nation's relationship with credit. Mexico is not a rich nation. It may have the 15th largest economy in the world, but it also has a lot of people. So that wealth is spread very, very thin. On top of this, it is also spread very, very unevenly. Wealth inequality in Mexico is not as bad as, say, inequality in South Africa, but it is not far behind, and it's also very, very regional. Outside the regions bordering the USA and Mexico City itself, the country's population is even poorer than you would determine from nationwide figures. You see, it has a typical developing economy dynamic. The major cities and centers of infrastructure reap the rewards of trade and industry while predominantly farming populations in regional areas are left behind. Now we have explored issues of wealth inequality before on this channel, and certainly a lot of the same issues are true in Mexico. But an interesting side effect of all of this is that the country is said to be underbanked. Underbanking is the lack of access to typical financial services. In developed and even most developing countries, people take things like bank accounts, internet banking, and even home loans or credit cards for granted. And these things exist in Mexico, it's just a lot of people don't have access to it. This causes issues. Of course, there is a lot of good things that come from having a well-regulated financial industry. Things like safely storing and investing money, ease of doing business, getting paid, and also extending credit. Now credit is good and bad. Normally we look at things like home loans or business loans or things of that nature, and we see these as good things. They allow people that would not have otherwise been able to to buy their own home or start their own business or, or whatever. And this also has knock-on effects. Paying off a home in most advanced nations is a strong determinant of individual wealth, and by extension, national wealth. The same goes with allowing people the ability to start their own business. It all helps social mobility, which is basically the ability for poorer people to work hard to build up wealth to improve their own quality of life. Social mobility may become one of the nation's key determinants of success in coming years, 
At the moment, it is very, very hard for poor individuals from the nation to get access to education and employment to build up a middle-class lifestyle. And due to a lot of issues within the nation, things like crime and lack of ability to make that much money as a regular worker, I mean, a lot of people, especially well-educated people, are moving out. People are actually one of the nation's largest exports. Mexico now has over 13 million of its citizens living abroad. Most notably, of course, in the United States, which is the highest rate of any country in the world. I mean, it's over 10% of their total population. A lot of this has to do with access to opportunity, which is a function of social mobility. On a base level, people working in the United States and sending money back home is actually a good thing for the local economy. But it's when people, especially skilled workers, pack up and leave the country for good that it will start to have a negative impact. And it's kind of easy to see why. On paper, Mexico does not have inequality as bad as a nation state like, say, South Africa. That is more so because the nation is universally a little bit poorer. But it does have the really, really bad type of inequality. Extreme disparities between the super rich and the poor. Carlos Slim Hilu, a Mexican citizen, was once the richest man in the world and claimed a personal fortune that was over 10% of Mexico's GDP. Now, net worth and GDP measures are different, so take that figure with a grain of salt, but this was still the highest ratio of net worth to GDP of any individual in any nation in recorded history. Now, people are often quick to point at the social or political failings within a nation, and look, that may have played a part here, but in reality, a lot of this has more to do with debt than it does with policy. Mexico has a very, very low household debt to GDP ratio, one of the lowest in the developing world, and this all has to do with the underbanking issue we saw earlier. People who get paid in cash and probably don't pay taxes are very, very hard to give a loan to. But this isn't all bad news though. Mexico has actually been praised for its stability in recent years. It weathered the storm of the South American economic crisis relatively unscathed, and its growth has been very consistent at around 2% a year, year on year. And that has a lot to do with its leverage. You see, a 2% growth rate isn't great. It's not bad for a developed country, and any growth is good growth, but Mexico is a developing country. When you look at nations like China, India, the Philippines, and, and even Japan back in the day, we saw that they would go through a short period of rapid industrial growth, with leads and jumps of around 7 or 8% in year-on-year -year GDP figures. But that hasn't really been the case in Mexico. Sure, it's building factories and transitioning to a primarily industrial nation, but it is not doing it nearly as fast. And a lot of that has to do with that debt problem, or rather, lack thereof debt problem. GDP is a function of how much money is trading hands between a nation's government, its companies, and its citizens. When we explored the modern day United States, we found that a lot of this was fueled by debt. People buy things on credit cards, or car loans, or personal loans, even home loans. And this facilitates a lot more money trading hands. And by extension, more overall prosperity, at least according to GDP figures. But this hasn't been the case in Mexico, and a lot of that has to do with people's willingness to invest in the nation itself.
Mexico as a nation is heavily dependent on its relationship with the United States. As a strong export economy, all of the factories and farms of the nation are there to feed the largest consumer market in the world just to the north of their border. So it comes as no surprise that Mexico's main export partner is the United States, which claims over 80% of their exports. The next largest trading partner is Canada, which accounts for less than 3%. So to say that Mexico is heavily dependent on the United States for a lot of its industries is pretty fair. This relationship has actually been quite good for both nations. American businesses have set up factories in Mexico as part of their global supply chain. Now of course, a lot of that has to do with workers in Mexico demanding lower wages than workers in the USA. But it's also a more convenient supply partner than let's say China, which requires loading things like cars onto ships in order to get them to mainland USA. When companies like GM, Ford, Toyota and the like set up factories, this is all foreign investment. And foreign investment is basically broken down into two parts. Foreign direct investment and foreign indirect investment. Now the first one, foreign direct investment, is probably the one that you have heard of more often. And this is where individuals or, or more likely companies set up specific investments within the country. If a wealthy American family buys a house in New Zealand as a holiday home, that is foreign direct investment. Or if a car company like Ford sets up a factory in Mexico, that is foreign direct investment. And this is normally seen as really, really beneficial for an economy because it boosts local markets and provides jobs. Foreign indirect investment, or normally just called foreign investment, is still investing into a foreign market, but it is done through financial instruments that is normally facilitated by a local financial institution. If I, as an Australian, want to invest into American stocks, I don't have to book a flight to New York. I can just talk to an Australian stockbrokering firm and buy American shares through them. I am still directly exposed to the American market, but it goes through a financial instrument. The same is true for things like foreign government bonds or securities, or, or even things like a foreign currency exchange. With all that understood though, the foreign direct investment into Mexico has been really, really fantastic. And it's not just like American companies are setting up shop in the nation purely to take advantage of the cheaper to employ local population either. Major research and development facilities and high-tech manufacturing now take place in Mexico, meaning that actual good paying jobs have been created here and the nation is developing a reputation as a quality supplier of manufactured goods rather than just a cheap one. A vast majority of this has been facilitated through the North American Free Trade Agreement, which was basically an agreement between the United States, Mexico and Canada to not restrict trade between each other. The hope of this deal was that it would allow nations to trade freely which does increase the wealth of the overall group in general terms and also makes the North American continent more independent as a cohesive unit. Now this deal like all deals had its good parts and its bad parts. The good was of course that businesses were able to allocate resources to countries in the deal that were best able to facilitate this type of business. A lot of farming was done in Canada, general administrations grew in America and of course a lot of manufacturing moved to Mexico. Because companies wouldn't have to pay tariffs to move products across borders, it just made sense to do things where it was most cost effective to do them. Which led us onto the bad parts. The central linchpin in the North American Free Trade Agreement was the United States. 
both geographically and economically. Mexico trades almost exclusively back and forth with the United States, and Canada basically trades exclusively back and forth with the United States. There is some trade between Mexico and Canada directly, but it is very, very minimal. The United States also has a large motor vehicle industry, and typically all of the companies that we have mentioned earlier would do their manufacturing within the United States. But now, because Mexico does not have to pay tariffs to import cars, it makes it cheaper for these companies to just assemble these cars across the border. Which means that car plants within the United States employing citizens of the United States get moved, displacing workers. And this is a major drawback. The reason that things like tariffs and import quotas exist in the first place is not because they are great economically, but instead they are there to protect local industries and workers. The North American Free Trade Agreement was a fantastic economic concept, but it was a terrible protectionary step, which caused it to be branded as the worst trade deal in the history of trade deals, which has among other things caused a lot of uncertainty for Mexico. The renegotiation of the North American Free Trade Agreement and the openly hostile US president as well as new incentives for American companies to come back onshore has caused issues in the Mexican economy. Most prominently, that of confidence. Companies are apprehensive to do things like build new factories or invest in R&D in a country that they are not sure if they are even going to be able to trade with into the future. What this means is that the crucial investment that was the lifeblood of the growing Mexican economy has been limited over the past few years. We have seen before that the nation doesn't really borrow that much money to fuel growth itself, so if foreign investment falters, so too does Mexico. Investors actually knew this, and during the 2016 presidential election campaign, the value of a peso swung heavily upwards and downwards with speculative news on who the presidential candidate would be, and of course, who would win in 2016 which was one of the strongest correlations that the price of a currency has had to an election which wasn't even its election. All of this has compounded to mean that throughout the last three years, Mexico's economy has started to slow down, which for a developing economy is actually quite bad. Developing economies need that period of strong sustained growth to develop the infrastructure required to become a proper first world nation but it may not be as bad for Mexico as it would be for any other nation out there. You see, the issue that Mexico had with not borrowing enough money may have been its saving grace during these more turbulent times. Mexico was the equivalent of a person who started making a lot of money but held off buying that fancy new five bedroom, three bathroom McMansion in the suburbs and continued to rent out their small apartment a little bit closer to work. Sure. During the good times, he was not able to grow his wealth quite as fast as his colleagues who benefited off their leveraged real estate investments. But during the bad times, if his work slowed down and not as much money was being taken home, he would have been just fine without the fear of needing to make his latest debt repayment. But all of this may be starting to turn around. Throughout this video, we have explored the benefits and problems that have arisen in Mexico because of their relationship with not wanting to take out loans. But it actually looks like this is all starting to turn around anyway. 
As of 2016, access to technology has been noted as a driving force behind access to financial services and looking at the household and small business sector, things like home loans are growing in volume at a rate five times that of GDP growth, which means potentially they will soon catch up with the rest of the developing world. The nation is still weary of the issues that this can cause and the memory of 2008 are not easily forgotten. But policymakers in the nation are also seeing that the benefits outweigh the costs. Mexico is a nation with a lot of potential. It has the same opportunities to go through rapid growth like so many other nations have in Southeast Asia and abroad. It's kind of already halfway there. And as the nation grows, it will have the resources to address the social and political issues within the nation. Wealth begets wealth, and if Mexico can move beyond its dependence on foreign direct investment and invest directly into itself, there is every chance that it will become a modern economic superpower. Everything in national finance feeds off each other. As the nation becomes wealthier, citizens will get access to more technology, which means that they can get access to things like banking which means that they can get access to things like home and business loans, which means that they have the ability to improve their quality of life, which means that they are less likely to move abroad, which means that the skills and expertise of the citizens of the nation will work to benefit the nation, which means it will have the ability to grow and develop and pass that wealth back to the people that made it possible. Hi guys, thanks for watching. If you enjoyed this video, please consider liking and subscribing. As always, a huge thank you to our new patrons over on Patreon. Your support continues to make these videos on these slightly dicier topics possible. We will be hosting the Q&A session live streamed on the second channel linked in the video description. If you want to be involved in that, come on over there to participate directly, or you can join our Discord server. Thanks guys, bye.